0: forcing like memes or trying to do things that are just not like authentic don't typically work. We work with a ton of brands that were like, we just want to go viral. We want a meme. Create a meme for us. And it's like, that's not how the internet culture works, right?
1: Hey there. James here and you're listening to the Own the Moment podcast, the show where we explore the complex and always evolving landscape of marketing, advertising and branding and try to get to the bottom of what it means to be a truly memorable brand. The On The Moment podcast is brought to you by Como Technologies, a self-service, complete customer engagement platform that helps you cut through the noise to truly connect with your customers and retain and grow those connections over time. With Como, you can build and deploy new campaigns, activations, promotions, and programs in days, not months. And our software is used by some of the world's biggest consumer brands from Heineken to budget Goodman Fielder, Foxtel, JLL, Williams Racing, and McDonald's. Learn more at Como.Tech. This week, we're talking to Melissa Rosenthal, one of the most innovative and accomplished marketing leaders going around. That's a big claim, but I think Melissa's resume and track record support the claim. Melissa is currently the Chief Creative Officer at ClickUp, the seventh fastest growing company in America. ClickUp is an innovative workplace productivity platform and they're currently valued at $4 billion and have raised money from the industry's top venture capital firms, including Andreessen Horowitz and Lightspeed. ClickUp is a B2B company that does brand, creative and marketing that feels like a B2C brand. And a lot of that is up to Melissa. I do urge you to go and check out the ClickUp YouTube channel. Prior to ClickUp, Melissa was part of the founding team at Cheddar, a fresh and internet-native take on financial news, which sold to one of the biggest cable companies for $200 million. Before that, Melissa led creative at BuzzFeed for over six years, managing a team of 100-plus creatives, and was involved in building out the branded content product, helping oversee over 3,000 campaigns from Fortune 500 companies, resulting in almost 300 billion views. All of that is to say, Melissa knows a thing or two about making great content and stories for the internet. We had a great discussion touching on how or how not to go viral on the internet, how brands can tell better stories, and what the rise of generative AI means for creatives. Let's get to the show. Melissa Rosenthal, thank you for being on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
1: Great. So I want to start with BuzzFeed. I'm curious as to how you reflect on your time at BuzzFeed now that it's in the rearview mirror. It's you know not a company without controversy. Some believe it's responsible for the rise of clickbait culture, while others might argue that it just made the internet more fun and engaging. I'm curious how you think about your time at BuzzFeed a couple of years on.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, BuzzFeed at the time where it you know, lived within internet culture really helped shape internet culture. When I started there, we were 10 people in a really small office trying to figure out, you know, what the internet would become and how people would share content and what that actually looked like and meant. So I think, you know, for us, it was how do we get people to resonate with what we're creating? How do we get people to share content? Um, And what does that look like? And I think building the framework for what Know, would live on the rails of a lot of these platforms and the content that would be created was done so in a way that really shaped a lot of the internet culture and a lot of pop culture and mainstream culture that started out as an experiment. So I mean I look on that fondly. I think as things evolve over time, the landscape changes and and new social companies come up and, and, and things evolve in good or bad ways. You know, I think once we kind of hit mainstream and we were working In tandem with a lot of these platforms, you know, they were giving us a ton of organic reach, which was amazing. And then you kind of get to a point where they're not like supporting... Company anymore, or the platform starts to kind of take the power back, and you know that was always very interesting because it was kind of like the lifeblood. So there's there's a lot of lessons learned in, in kind of controlling your own destiny and not relying so heavily on um, on secondary platforms to to be the rails for the distribution. But in terms of the the clickbait conversation, we really kind of shaped that time in that place of, of what that looked like and what content looked like then. And, you know, as uh, as anything else, everything kind of evolves over time, whether it be good or bad. But I think um, from anything, you know, there are good things and, and it'll, you know, the company shaped, I think, a lot of the way that we, we create content and share content now.
1: Yeah. And, and I guess also like, you know, you were, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first media platforms that really innovated around this idea of native content and having brands actually make content that wasn't just you know press releases or or blog posts were you the first
0: i believe we were i mean you know when we started out we the big question was how do we monetize uh, the content that we're creating and how do we monetize the site and monetization was was tricky there were a couple of routes we could go which was you know, put a bunch of banner ads on the site and make it kind of crapify it and make it people, you know, make the user experience really terrible. Um, And we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to take away from all the amazing things that we were creating on the editorial side. So we put our heads together and said, what is a product that we can create that we feel confident we can sell? that can really enhance people's experience, or at least make it tolerable, and that it can work. Um, And we're not selling, you know, just impressions or clicks. So, you know, we we tried a lot of things. We tried affiliate products. We, you know, we would try to sell beef turkey and buckyballs and all these weird things that, you know, it didn't, that was not a long-term solution. And then we thought about it. We said, how do we, how do we take a, a slice out of the advertising market, but do so in a way that's uniquely us? Um, and the you know the answer was let's create content that's that's advertising, um, and let's create great content that is advertising, and let's do so in a way that the people that would consume our editorial content. You know, they would consume the brand content just as much because it's it's that good. Um, so that's sort of how we how we started to evolve. But you know, the industry certainly wasn't there. The agencies and, and clients I didn't have content marketing or social marketing budgets at all or brand marketing budgets. So we really needed to. Um, really educate the market on why content was a viable revenue stream for us and why it was a really great way of bringing people in to emotionally resonate with
1: their brand. I mean, it's fascinating, really, because like you say, I mean, really, this is just or that was just content marketing, which is just 100% ubiquitous. Now, every brand from, you know, banks to Pet food are doing content, and and you know Buzzfeed was really a huge driver of that. So, um, Melissa, I read on your LinkedIn that you oversaw the strategy and creation of three thousand branded campaigns. You know, for Fortune five hundred clients, driving you know almost three hundred billion views. What are the biggest learnings and takeaways for brands across those campaigns?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's if you start with the. Why people would resonate with this, and how does it connect back to your brand in an authentic way? I think you're going to have the most success. Forcing like memes or trying to do things that are just not like authentic don't typically work. We we worked with a ton of brands that were like, we just want to go viral. We want a meme. Create a meme for us, and it's like that's not how the internet culture works, right? So we, you know, I, I think the the brands that did the best were the ones that le- really let us like understand you know, they're coming to work with us because we understand the internet, we understand why people share, we understand different audiences. And when we were able to create that way with with like that first, you know, we'd always find success. So it was it was a bit of freedom and the ability to really, you know, kind of go with the ideas first, rather than just kind of like forcing things.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting discussion, the sort of, you know, can you plan for virality? I don't know if you remember during like the, you know, NFT summer or whatever it was. I don't know if it was 2020 or 2021. But remember you had like Wendy's and Burger King sort of tweeting like GM at each other uh, and, you know, forcing that whole sort of crypto thing. I mean, it, it's it's funny now. I mean, you look back and it is just so cringe. I mean, like it's totally sort of not getting the Internet culture.
0: Yeah. It just it, And, you know, you have people at the top that are just kind of like, this is how brands should interact. And, and it's just very off and it feels very forced. And I think it's kind of like to what, what seems like an inside joke, like within a company or a brand, like is not probably the way that you want to advertise or speak to your audiences. And I always like to go back to that. Like even you know here in everything we would do, it's kind of like if we think this is funny because it's like an inside joke with us, would someone on the outside like resonate with this? Because you often see a lot of commercials and you're like, what, what was that? like you're like someone thought that that was a good idea and then shopped it around to everyone else that would agree with that person and that's how they came out with that but they didn't really like kind of serve like humor is so subjective and 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 resonance is so subjective that you really need to kind of get a wide array of people and say like is this actually funny like you know and, and I, I, we do that all the time because it's it's hard for us to to just say like all right we're going to make these decisions based on like what our little group of people think is is funny. So, I think it's just kind of making sure that you're able to really understand that like humor is subjective and like that it you should probably get some outside opinions and and work with other people to understand is it really funny before you push it out.
1: Yeah, right. That's yeah, that's so interesting and I think it's sort of it's that old adage of, you know, you shouldn't make advertising for advertising people. I guess it's a little bit of that that same core idea is, you know, really empathizing with with customers. Um, I want to move on to ClickUp where you are now. Um, and I guess what's interesting about you being at ClickUp is it's a enterprise, you know, B2B software company, which, you know, for someone who's done 3000 campaigns at, at Buzzfeed, and then, you know, you went on to do Cheddar after that, it does seem like a little bit of a, I guess like a left turn career wise. Tell me sort of, you know, how did you end up at, um, ClickUp and, you know, What do you make of the difference between sort of B2B and B2C marketing?
0: Yeah. um, So I had been in media for the large part of my career. Um, After BuzzFeed, I went to help start a company called Cheddar, which was also a media company. And the view there was that we could Blend a differentiated approach to live programming with a very big trend that was happening in distribution and cord cutting, um, which was not a thing at the time. It was like, hey, this is starting to to happen. And we did a lot of things differently. Our distribution was different, our branding was different. It was very, um, I would say, progressive. It wasn't just like very dark and and masculine. Um, The anchors that we had on air were diverse, and we talked about a lot of range of topics that really touched a lot of, you know, tech culture um, across things that young people would be interested in. So the rise of female founders, you know, how do you get your first VC check? Um, how do you raise money? And and we would program it in a way that made it really relatable to young people interested in these topics, versus kind of like a CNBC or Fox business approach. So that was our approach there. And, you know, after we, we sold that to a cable company, and coming out of that, I was like, I want to Do that again and and disrupt, but I do want to be on the software side. I think um, creating content where content is the product was something that I enjoyed doing for a very long time. But at that stage in my life, I wanted to try something different where I was internal, in house, building a differentiated brand where the brand and the content wasn't the product, but we were able to differentiate and support an incredible product by creating awesome brand content, awesome commercials, really giving a very vibrant, colorful, innovative feel um, that could be humorous and approachable in a way that many other companies had never done and become the gold standard for that. And that idea in an industry that I had never been in before felt like a real challenge, but the right challenge and the right company and the right product could really allow me to do that very well. And that was, you know, a lot that went into that decision.
1: And I mean, you know, because ClickUp is, of course, you know, in a very competitive space. Yes, 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 yes. And, and so is 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 the is the thesis that brand, you know, of course, you know, great product is table stakes. But is the thesis that you know, amazing brand is, you know, one of the most powerful sort of ways to differentiate. And
0: yeah, I mean, in a, in a hyper competitive space where technology is now like completely democratized, you know, it, this is not like you have you can leapfrog for 10 years by building a product. It's like you have people that are coming up behind you every day and they're building it in months. And like, I think that's a huge difference in where we are in in that cycle of democratization of building that we never had before. So when you, you know, I, I always believed that brand was a big lever and a big differentiator. But when you think about, you know, an era in which anyone can build anything in a way, you know, truncated amount of time, like brand plays an even bigger role (laughs) because you have to stand out, um, especially if you're competing against, you know, huge companies that have, have IPO'd and have, you know, at that time, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding and are much bigger than you. Um, So, you know, there there are kind of those tried and true ways of doing that, which is punching up in a fun way to kind of position yourselves next to them. And how can you get next to them? And I think that's always like how I thought about it um, from day one. It's like, how can we differentiate ourselves so much and punch up so much that we are just next to them? And that was a lot of like, kind of how I thought about building the brand. And also, just like how we wanted to come across in market. Like we were always okay with taking a humorous tone. Um, we wanted to people to, to laugh and watch our ads and say, that was great. I really enjoyed that. I would watch that again. And like that emotional resonance is the ability to then rent space in people's minds. I always say that like, if you walk away feeling something, um, you're gonna remember that. And at that time when you're ready to make a decision, that's what's gonna come back to you.
1: Right, yeah, no, I think that's a like an amazing insight and it's something that, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about is, you know, is that optimizing for sort of being memorable? Because I think, you know, one thing, and I'll definitely put a link to, you've got a YouTube playlist on the YouTube channel where you've gathered all of your ads. And I mean, they're sort of TV quality. They're really, really amazing and and often humorous. I think what I find really interesting is that they do something that I don't see a lot of B2B brands doing, which is they're sort of I don't know if it is the right way to put it, that you're sort of like personifying the, the pain points. You know, you have one which is, you know, the engineer's worst nightmare and, and things like that. And it's really sort of building these stories and these narratives about the customers, which maybe it's becoming a little bit more common now, but it's, it's definitely not something you've seen historically in, um, in B2B.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah, it's personifying that that pain point or those pain points across those, you know, those customer profiles that you're trying to reach. And it's like, what would resonate with an engineer? What are they dealing with? Like, what are the pain points? What are the frustrations? Um, And we try to do that within everything that we do, you know, whether it's focused on a specific um, target demo, or it's more of a broad aware, brand awareness. It's like, what is the, what, are the, what are the frustrations within the workplace? And, and also just also talking about work culture and being able to like surround, like kind of own that, like being able to, to really align with just like align the brand and the, and the product with work, you know, being synonymous with work is, is the ultimate goal.
1: Right. And I, I guess another brand that I think sticks out there, or at least did, was Slack. I think, you know, they took a really, really fantastic approach to the brand. And right, it, it, you know, it very much felt like they were one of you, or I don't know exactly how to put it, but it was like this very relatable piece of your work there, which is really good. Um, you guys, did you guys run a Super Bowl commercial this year?
0: Not this year. We did that uh, last year.
1: Tell me about that. I mean, because, you know, I assume that's a humongous investment. Tell me a little bit about the experience with that. I mean, what went into the decision to do it? Would love to learn a little bit more about the sort of the creative process and and I guess reflections afterward.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, we always had, you know, cared a lot about brand awareness in general. So brand was a big part of our strategy. Uh, for the year prior to the to running the Super Bowl ad, we had invested heavily in our out-of-home strategy that spanned across all of pretty much the key knowledge cities where knowledge workers lived. Um, and we had, you know, units on billboards and buses and, and you know, in, in airports. So when we decided to do the Super Bowl commercial, which is still kind of like the ultimate way to reach mass markets in in, you know, the US like it just is it's it's kind of the the event of the year so you know when you think about those eyeballs and we're like hey if we're able to do a great ad if we're confident we can create something amazing um, and we can do it for a a good price in-house and we can take the strategy that we've uh, you know Employed over the, the past year, with hitting those key cities and not by a national ad, but by a geo-targeted ad towards those same markets, this w- would make sense for us. So it was pretty strategic. It wasn't just like let's throw you know X amount at, at this ad. It was like hey, let's let's double down on on the strategy that we've built that has worked for the past year, and let's let's put you know more fuel to the fire behind that. And that's sort of how we made the decision. And then, um, you know, we did a lot of a lot of work internally, very quick timeline, but we have an amazing team um, here and we, we did the whole thing in house. So, you know, the, the cost of the actual production was minimal compared to anyone that would be working with an outside agency. So we were able to save a lot there. And then, you know, we made a strategic in- investment into in deciding to run that ad.
1: I'm curious as to how you think about, I guess, the channel mix. I guess in B2B specifically, there's a little bit of I don't know if it's a consensus or not, but, you know, there is definitely a feeling that, you know, these radio, TV, out of home, you know, they're sort of, you know, hard to measure, hard to quantify, they're dying, no one's watching TV anyway. Tell me, what's your take on, I guess, the traditional channels and, and what role they play for brands? and?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the channel mix is always evolving and you just have to kind of stay on the, on the cusp of, of where it is and where people are watching. And while people may not be watching, you know, broadcast television... in in the demo that you want. They certainly are watching the Super Bowl. So that was strategic, but they are cutting the cord and watching streaming services. So when you think about OTT, that's become a huge part of our mix. The ads are not skippable. You're able to target them. You're able to understand what's working and what's not working and scale them accordingly. Unlike television, where it's a linear buy and it's just impressions delivered. So, you know, uh, technology and advertising for television and streaming television has evolved quite significantly. So that's a great way to, to kind of, you know, a great pivot, I believe, in the way that like advertising has, has evolved. And then, you know, podcasts as well. Like, you know, audio is such a huge part of people's daily lives and routines now that you have to be in audio in some capacity. Um, and then, you know, the tried and true YouTube and and Facebook and Instagram and, and TikTok. And I think it's, it's kind of that evolution of like, Hey, when new channels present themselves, like You should you should test them out and and see if they work. I think having this like standardized mix where you're not evolving your your media mix constantly and your channel mix constantly, you're going to get left behind.
1: Mm. And and I think you know the other thing is we were doing some research into radio recently, working with some clients, and I, I do think though that people drastically underestimate how big these, you know, I don't know, sort of traditional mediums still are. I mean, you know, the percentage of Americans that listen to the radio in the car every day, it's like, it's mind boggling. So I think it's worth keeping that in mind. Uh, Melissa, I want to move on to the topic on everyone's mind and lips, which is AI. You've made some fantastic and quite humorous videos about AI and what it means for, you know, the workplace. I'm curious, you know, how are you thinking about AI and the tool set that's sort of evolving you know, for a marketer and for a creative team, you know, what role are these things going to play?
0: Yeah, I mean, AI is is the first thing where, or the first real tech that feels so tangible from day one. Anyone can access GPT and can feed it the right prompts and can summarize documents and can spit out really amazing things. And I believe human touch needs to be involved in that process as well. I think it's working with AI, um, not letting AI just completely dictate what what it's creating. But it's, it's you know, it's amazing how quickly and how, how much smarter it gets every single day. So I think AI is going to play a huge role um, in the workplace. I think it will probably replace a lot of the mundane tasks that we don't want to be doing or the things that like take up the, the bandwidth and the brain space that that shouldn't be to allow us to focus on the things that we can actually really do well. Or, you know, sometimes, AI can almost act like a brainstorming buddy, (laughs) you know, I'll feed it some ideas and it'll feed me back ideas and then I'll feed it more ideas. And it's go, it's like going back and forth with someone, which is great. Um, It's great for the creative process. Um, You know, we can think about different prompts that we want for creating content and we can feed it to AI and and kind of just work with it that way. But I've seen such an amazing like use case and potential for it so far. Um, Everyone has opinions on it, which is also great and makes for great content as well. Um, But I think in terms of like, you know, the, the ability to just really streamline and automate certain pieces of work in a really effective and smart way you know AI is just is just like an amazing tool for that and I'm really excited to see how it evolves I think there's just unlimited potential for the way that it can really impact um, work work as we know it
1: I really concur with that. I think, you know, of course, I think there is an argument to say it might sort of, I don't know, lead to the proliferation of more average content, which like, look, it probably will. And I think in, in some way, it reminds me a little bit of the early days of SEO.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's good for us. Because I think what that will force us to do is be even more thoughtful about what we're putting out there. And, you know, you know like the mediocre content won't win anymore. It will have to really be kind of that next wave of, of everything. So I think when you think about that, maybe it's good. Maybe there's just too much mediocre content as there is like currently. And this will just, you know, kind of put into hyperspeed that, to be able to stand out, you got to create things that are differentiated.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. And I think that's a lot of how we are talking about it internally is, you know, we actually think that we might be on the cusp of like a, you know, renaissance of, of brand and creative because, you know, right, there's sort of the competition at the average level is just going to become, I mean, unwinnable. Absolutely. You know, with 500 character crappy SEO keyword stuffed blog posts. I mean, that's a dead, it's almost like a dead product now.
0: It was. It was kind of almost dead already. And now, yeah. I think that yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And um people should t- certainly be thinking about that. Marketers should certainly be thinking about that and what that means for them.
1: So I'd like to finish with a quick fire round. So quick quick answers um as they come to you. So the first one, so what are you loving right now? What's got your attention? It might be a you know, a brand, a book, a, a hobby, you know?
0: Um, I mean I, I I'm loving like the evolution of what we're working on, which are kind of like this creating short skits that also play into the brand that we're building and and the, the product that we support, but in a way that doesn't feel over the top. And I think like, if we can create hundreds of mini ads or mini commercials every day that are content and that are great, I think that like we can break boundaries on what B2B marketing is. So I'm very excited about the strategy that we've been working on. We've been publishing, you know, two to three videos every week and they their commentary on, on the state of work, their commentary on AI and things happening in tech, their way, fun ways of showcasing our product. So I, I think that there's just like a lot there. And I love like the ability to kind of news jack and touch on pop culture, but still tie it back to brands. So that's what I'm really excited about is kind of like the the evolution of of what what we've been working on. So we've been hyper-focused on that. A book I read recently was, uh, I believe it's called The Surrender Experiment, which was really uh, just kind of eye opening in the way that the world works and things happen and, and sometimes reminding yourself to kind of surrender to certain aspects of, of life, um, as they come and control the things that you can control, but, but kind of surrender to the things that you can't. And yeah, I guess those are the two things I'm, I mean, reading and, and, and focusing on, on building this machine.
1: Love that. Just, I'm breaking my own rule of I'm not meant to answer in the short five, but uh, how many people are in the creative team? Because you said two to three skits a week. I'm curious to like, you know, what's the team look like? How many people?
0: Yeah, we, uh, so the team is made up of um, a few folks on the video side, motion graphics, design, and collectively, I believe we're around 15. Mm,
1: I mean, it's amazing what you can get done with a small team.
0: Yeah. I mean, we just, you know, it's not that it's not a grind. We're shooting, Three to four times a week. Um, also, we're you know shooting you know branded campaigns for the for the company as we roll out you know the next iteration of our product. We're working on OTT commercials, so there's a lot you know there's design, there's motion graphic stuff. So there's a lot going on always. Um, but it's uh, it, it really is we're a small but mighty team, and we move fast, and we're able to really kind of pump things out quickly that uh, that hopefully resonate.
1: Love that. So um, tell me your favorite marketing campaign of all time and why?
0: Ha, that is a tricky one. First of all, I don't know if I have a favorite of all time. I think um, I'm really loving, and I think like we're kind of trying to emulate this on a B2B approach, but I'm really loving the content that Liquid Death is putting out consistently. I think they just know their brand. They can make fun of themselves. It's just really funny. Um, and they, they just take creative liberties that I'm, I'm a huge fan of. I think they do a fantastic job. I was always inspired by the Mac versus PC ads. I thought that those were kind of like groundbreaking and super polarizing, and then like they created a lot of commotion which is something that we emulated with uh, an ad series we did against Jira last last year where we we took that that similar approach and it kind of got the same reception so you know i think we draw a lot of inspiration from other historical campaigns or historical ads and also just formats of, of things that have worked before, and then applying those those frameworks to what we're doing. But um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of great advertising across the history of advertising, and go, go, going back from uh, VW's lemon to you know a lot of the, the you know the the kind of Apple, of course, the, you know their advertising is is always um, incredible. And I, I think that there's just like you can draw inspiration from many different places, and I try to do that um, across the spectrum of of
1: everything. It's funny, you're the second person in a row to mention Mac vs PC. And look, I must, you know, I agree. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, did you see that Justin Long actually switched? Like they did a new one and he's on the PC side now?
0: <laughs> really? I haven't seen that. That's, that's really I don't know how
1: I feel about that. that they brought you know. it back?
0: Wow. Uh, that's great. That's great.
1: Yeah, but yeah, there's something about, you know, being bought, I guess, by by the other side. Um, uh, what do you think is the best brand in the world right now or who is the best brand in the world right now if if not liquid death maybe or you know the
0: best brand in the world right now i mean it's really hard to compete with apple like i think their brand marketing is just like spectacular i think liquid death is a like a front runner for how they do brand and how fast they've built um, but just the like the emotion and, and what Apple can pack into, you know, 30 seconds of content from from their user conference. You know, they they just are spectacular in execution. Obviously, it's a huge company. So there's there's a lot, you know, at that, that level that you can do and, and tons of agencies that they're working with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't I think it's hard to beat Apple just in, in general. But I think there's a lot of inspiration you can draw from them. But on the on the kind of B2C, you know, up and coming side, I think, you know, liquid death kind of takes the rein.
1: No, I think those are, are two great ones. What do you think is the most overrated trend in marketing right now?
0: Overrated trend. Um, just like huh, overrated trend in marketing, perhaps just like producing for producing sake, like just creating to create rather than like thinking about what you're doing and why, I don't know sometimes I'm, I see content and I'm just like, what, what, why would anyone resonate with that? And I think like, the thought that needs to go into every single piece of content that you create, whether it's a commercial or a, a social post, should really kind of have that thought process in it. So I don't know if it's an overrated trend, but I think that, um, you, you know, put the uh, the human touch and, um, and and humanize, you know, humanize marketing again.
1: Yeah, I think especially on the B2B side, I think, you know, yeah the amount of, I think we already mentioned the 500 character keyword blog post.
0: Yeah, and it's also just like a feature parity and your ability to differentiate based on like just features alone and product alone. Um, you know, I think we maybe have mentioned this, but democratization of tech is just so, so prevalent now. Like people can build something that would have taken them years and a couple of months. And I think it's really important to remember that and that brand is a huge differentiator. So, if, if, you know, building brand is, is just as important as building, you know, great product
1: great last one. so what's the what's the tactic no one is talking about that everyone should be talking about? I guess maybe it could be framed as the next big thing.
0: I think it's it's kind of this approach of just like creating a lot of really great content um, and not doing one giant campaign. A lot of brands I see like, this actually might be the most overrated trend in marketing, which is utilizing Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> honestly. Um, <laughs> I feel like he's just like this default now of like, we created a commercial with Ryan Reynolds. And I, I think that, you know, you spend a lot of money doing that. You create one ad and it's like this one blast, right? And then it it's over. And I think consistency and not lever- having to lean on a celebrity is going to be the next wave of what's going to happen. Rather than like a large campaign moment, I think will become consistent streams of content and how we think about advertising will be more just consistency in delivery and, and actual distribution rather than like creating one large thing that everyone is relying on to like get the message across and sell a ton of product. I don't really believe in that strategy anymore. People's attention spans moves so quickly that you kind of constantly have to be top of mind. And how do you do that if you've created one campaign? I think it's multiple mini campaigns across tons of tons of 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 output. That's that's sort of the way that I'm thinking about it.
1: I, I mean there is a really interesting discussion to be had around celebrities and how that plays out in the future. I think obviously sort of the deep fake AI, you know, what if the cost of endorsements, you know, goes to zero. What does that do? But again, going back to system one, I was reading a report after the Super Bowl where they showed that brand characters and and mascots, I mean, you know, way outperform celebrities in terms of recall and memorability. So I think, I mean, that's just such an interesting insight.
0: Yeah. And celebrities aren't, you know, they're not, they're not just your brand spokespeople, (laughs) you know, they're, they're being traded in and out every day. So how do you create something that you can own?
1: That's super interesting. Maybe that's a discussion for another episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah,
0: thank you so much for having me. It was a great time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Own The Moment podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And to suggest a guest or provide feedback, please visit our dedicated podcast hub at ownthemomentpod.com.